You are listening to another tale from the Mage's Den, the podcast for the Common Tongue magazine. Riga by David Dixon, narrated by Carl Walmsley. The narrow, dusty track wound up the hillside ahead of her and disappeared into the scrub trees and brambles. Farther up the ridge, the band of brown dirt emerged from the trees and Dogleg left before turning back up the slope and vanishing once more. Riga craned her neck to see if she could pick it out again, but it never re-emerged from the forest glens. She looked back over her shoulder at the village, a distant hovel of ramshackle stone huts scattered next to the seashore, then to the sun overhead. There was still time. She didn't relish the idea of being anywhere near the mountaintop when night fell, not at all. Nonetheless, she had her charge. Come on, let's go, she told the group of nervous village men behind her. There were twenty of them, each more pathetic than the last, and this was the bravest the village had to offer. Half the men had refused to accompany her even this far. She looked over the crowd of elderly men seeking to relive their glory days, hen-pecked husbands there under penalty from their wives, and younger men who clearly hoped to impress her with their bravery or their looks. She snorted at the thought. She was not some fisherman's daughter. Her uncle was the king, and her father was the most famous hero of his age. Cowards, every one of them. May the great sea god Loederon himself smash their whole stupid village of inbred yokels into the sea. Two wordless hours later, as the party neared the clearing she'd seen from below, Riga heard worried whispers behind her. She wiped the scowl from her face before she turned to find the whole group rooted in place. What now? she asked. The older men in the group muttered among themselves, while the younger men stared her down like she had insulted them by daring to ask the question. Riga opened her mouth to reproach them, but the words died in her throat. She couldn't explain why, but suddenly she was small and powerless. Not the favourite niece of the king, not the daughter of the most famous hero in all Pippa, not even the granddaughter of the divine Hyaphus himself. No, suddenly she was a hare under the gaze of a wolf. Everyone was looking at her, but somewhere a pair of eyes from the crowd bored into her as if whoever cast the gaze wanted to rip her open and see what was inside. Like she was a lamb for purchase at a butcher's stall. As if anyone in this godforsaken little village had the right to weigh and measure her. She scrutinised the group, desperate to uncover the source of her unease. When she found the man who dared look at her like that, she'd whip him to within an inch of his life. But when she scanned the crowd, No man challenged her, not even the youngest buck in the group. The feeling passed and her pulse slowed. 
I must be imagining. A pair of eyes met hers from the back of the crowd. The man's face was hidden in the shadow of a tall fir tree. Those eyes! It was like she'd seen them every day, as if she'd looked into them a hundred thousand times, like they were all she'd ever known. Yet at the same time, there was something cold and alien about them, like they held some secret and terrible power she could only dimly comprehend. The eyes blinked and the crowd shifted. The spell was broken. The village men recoiled from her as she strode through them. She stared down every man until he backed away, but the grey eyes were not among them. Her skin crawled and her heart thudded like a beating drum. My spear and shield, she demanded. While she'd not felt any danger before, she certainly did now. The men carrying them for her looked only too glad to hand them over, and when they did, they turned around and padded back down the trail. Before Riga could protest, the rest of the party followed. An old white beard turned to face her and extended a crooked finger to the edge of the clearing ahead toward a leaning tower of rocks. They looked ready to slide into the narrow path, the cairn from some long-forgotten battle. The priestess call that the old witch and say no man can cross her threshold and live. This is as far as we go. For while you may kill us now for our disobedience, daughter of Sinair, the goddess can harry us even in the afterlife. Fine, Riga spat. She didn't look after them as they went. Instead, she leaned her spear and shield against a nearby boulder and tugged her cloak around her. Dappled green and brown, it would blend in well in the dim forest ahead, although she doubted it would do much to hide her from the gaze she'd felt earlier. Out of habit, she examined her spear for combat worthiness. Riga set her jaw. Soon, there would be blood. She set her battle-scarred bronze shield face up in front of her. From a leather bag slung across her back, she produced a few twigs and a special preparation of dried flowers and arranged them in a tiny triangle atop the shield. Then she pulled a piece of dull black iron and a flint striker from her bag, just as she had a hundred times since her youth. She knelt before the shield and bent her forehead to the ground. I appeal to you, or my grandfather Hyaphus, to bless your favoured granddaughter with wisdom and discernment, skill and speed, strength and valour. May my deeds honour you, my father and mother, and my family for evermore, she whispered. Normally she would have closed her eyes during the prayer, but she couldn't shake the knowledge that those eyes, whomever they belonged to, were still out there, somewhere. She'd faced enough of the mysterious creatures that haunted the world's wild places to know they hadn't belonged to a man from the village. No, there was something else at work here in the forest. She struck the flint with the iron and sent a spark into the mixture on her shield. The dried flowers caught immediately, 
blossoming into a multicoloured flame that set the twigs to smoking. She stared into the wafting smoke, green eyes narrowed, looking for an answer in the curling remnants of her benediction. The smoke coiled and uncoiled like the final writhings of a dying serpent. She read the signs as they appeared, the undulating white and grey tendrils turning black as they reached for the sky. Grave danger loomed ahead, but that was hardly unusual. The thin line of smoke dissipated, then seemed to reform. Her divine grandfather had still more to tell her in his mysterious way. She frowned. There was a message in the omen, she was sure, but what was it? A warning? A warning of what? What could... The last dying ember burst unexpectedly into bright orange, sending an acrid line of deep black smoke straight into the air, an unmistakable portent. Riga recoiled and her blood ran cold. It wasn't her grandfather's warning, but his fear. She advanced up the path with her shield on her left arm and spear in her right. In the forest's dim light, she searched for the grey eyes but found nothing. Honeybees buzzed from their hidden nest. A startled fox darted across her path, a good omen. And birds chirped happily in the trees, oblivious to the monster that lurked somewhere farther up the mountain. The forest floor held no unexpected tracks, no strange claw marks, no odd prints. But she had practised her craft long enough to know that not every creature which lurked in the dark places had feet, and of those that did, not all left tracks. After all, she'd seen those eyes. And even without unusual tracks or the unnerving gaze from earlier, the villagers had never expressed any doubt as to where the evil made its home. She'd spoken to the men and women of the village alike, from the local priestess to the drunken lout that lounged by the sea at midday, and they were all of one opinion. The goddess Deladonna's altar had been corrupted. The local berries had turned sour. The well had run dry. The nearby springs, long renowned for their fresh water, smelled of sulphur and ash. The fish hadn't disappeared, but they'd grown scarce, as if they, like the village, could sense an evil omen. Healthy goats had wasted away no matter how much they ate, shedding hair and muscle until they were little more than skeletons when they died. Then there was the matter of the murders. According to the village assembly, the first to go was a young lad of 18, a fisherman's son named Caiaphas. He disappeared walking from his father's boat after helping haul in a catch vanishing somewhere in the tiny village between the shore and his house up on the hill. They found him that day at dusk, rent in two, along the path leading to the local hot spring. A week later it had been a forty-year-old shepherd from a village further west. He'd come to sell his herd and had gotten drunk with part of the proceeds. When Riga had interviewed the men he'd been drinking with, each of them swore that the man had just stepped out for a piss 
and then hadn't even noticed he was missing until an hour later. A woman gathering berries found him the next morning, his body gutted like a fish, as one of the locals had put it. First, the village sent for help. Then they'd armed themselves and set a watch. The watch hadn't done any good. Two weeks after that, a pair of watchmen disappeared. Again it happened in broad daylight, and again they were found in tatters of flesh, halfway up the path Riga had walked this morning. Their spears had been unblooded, and their knives remained in the sheaths on what was left of their belts. Meanwhile, the village's emissaries had reached the king in Apipa, who dispatched the young Riga, daughter of the famed hero Soner, and already a storied figure in her own right, to find whatever man or beast threatened the king's loyal subjects. No one else had died in her two-and-a-half-week voyage from Apipa to the village, but as Riga discovered when she arrived, the women of the village had decided to mount an appeal to their local goddess, and that had ended in tragedy of a different sort. The priestess they'd sent to Deladonna's altar to plead for divine intervention had returned with her skin pallid as the winter moon and her eyes wide and unfocused like a mad woman's. That had been four days ago and the poor girl still hadn't managed a word. The monster was up here in the sacred space at the top of the mountain. Whatever it was, it had ripped apart four men and three of them in broad daylight. Whatever it was, her grandfather, the divine Hyaphus himself, feared it like nothing Riga had ever encountered in all her pleas for his blessing and protection. And whatever it was, she had felt its gaze earlier. Riga tightened her grip on her spear. She'd been sent to kill it. And she would. With her next step on the stony path, she knew she'd crossed a hidden threshold into the realm of the gods. The air bristled with an energy that infused every speck of dust and ray of sunlight with raw power. So full of life a moment ago, the forest stood silent as a temple. The hairs on the back of her neck stood on end, and her flesh prickled. The dark firs and moss-covered boulders seemed more ancient than time itself, like they had been there since the very day Isseron scooped the mountains from the primordial sea. The forest didn't feel empty, no. This was not the feeling of an abandoned temple or a forgotten altar. Here, there was an overpowering sense of unfathomable presence. And not just any presence, but one of implacable malice, as dark and deep and violent as the sea during a midnight storm. It was all she could do to put her left foot in front of her right and keep walking. Her whole body trembled, not with fear, for she'd outgrown fear as a young child under her father's tutelage, but with awe. She had been in the presence of monsters before, but this, this was something different, something unnatural, roused in anger, in hate, 
in divine wrath. Riga, daughter of Sanair, what brings you to my glade? The voice was as beautiful as a songbird's and as powerful as a rock slide. It echoed from around her, from every leaf and every stone, every blade of grass and every mote of dust. It was at once both as familiar as the hills and as foreign as a creature from the deep. The voice dwarfed even the hillside itself. O Deladonna, protector of these hills, shepherd to the poor sheep of your village, and goddess of the warm summer winds, I come to you because something evil lurks here, Riga replied, the presence of the divine choking her voice to a whisper. Something evil? Deladonna asked, her voice cold and beautiful. Evil? What do you know of evil, mortal? Yes, Riga answered. Something evil. It has killed four men in your village and done something terrible to one of your priestesses. I felt its eyes upon me just before I entered your glade. Come to my altar, Riga, daughter of Sanair, the goddess commanded. And Riga advanced up the path, her legs growing weaker with each step. At the crest of the hill stood an arrangement of ancient stones in the shadow of three massive firs that looked as old as the bones of the earth itself. The top of the altar was a flat slab covered in an ancient script and scarred by centuries' worth of blades, no doubt as part of some local rite. Three silver bowls, untarnished despite their surroundings, sat at the foot of the altar. One was overturned, and an ornately carved wooden vessel lay smashed on its side atop the stone table itself. A smear of blood out on the front of the altar reminded Riga of her first night with a lover. <sighs> she cursed herself for such profane thoughts in the presence of the divine Deladonna. The goddess herself appeared on the altar, an alabaster-skinned, dark-haired maiden lying across the rocks. Her pale left arm trailed off the stone table, almost brushing the ground, and her eyes were hidden beneath dark lashes. She lay so still that she could have been asleep, had the scene not been tinged with violence. The blood, the overturned bowl, the broken pitcher. The recumbent divinity wore a gold-trimmed white cloak, ripped asunder at the waist, bearing her breasts and a dark patch of hair between her legs. The goddess turned her head and opened her eyes, deep pools of sadness that drove Riga to her knees. You see, mortal, and understand, Deladonna said. Riga's shield and spear clattered to the ground beside her as she buried her face in the dirt prostrate before the goddess. Tears streamed down her cheeks and sobs racked her body. My great goddess, tell me where to find this creature and I, I, I will avenge you. Riga begged, 
tears of sorrow and rage running down her cheeks. I will avenge you. I will make it right, O divine Deladonna. She gripped her spear. Tell me where this creature is. This creature that has done this thing and I will kill it. I will bring justice to this evil. The goddess on the altar shook her head, the dark ringlets barely moving. Justice is the purview of the gods, is it not, Riga, daughter of Sener? Yes, Riga answered, even as she wanted to scream. But you are a goddess yourself. You, you of, of all things under heaven, should have justice already. And if justice and good and evil are the purview of the gods, what they allow must be just, and what they forbid must be evil. Yes? Deladonna asked. Yes, Riga whispered. But sometimes men are their instruments, and I will be the instrument of justice for you. I came to hunt this monster, and I will. I will be... But you are not a man, child, the goddess interrupted. You are a woman, and a young one at that. What can you know of justice? I know that the creature that did this to you deserves to die, and I know that I was sent to kill it, and I... The goddess disappeared. You know nothing, dear one. The creature you were sent here to kill is not the cause of what you see here. The result. A man appeared in front of the altar, his back to Riga. When he turned to face her, her blood turned to ice. She staggered to her feet, spear and sword in hand, her breath caught in her throat. His eyes, those horrible, penetrating, predatory alien grey eyes, the rest of the man looked friendly enough, even attractive if she was being honest. But there was something indescribably wrong about his eyes. And Riga knew that despite his looks, he was as dangerous and cruel as any beast she'd ever faced. Who are you? she demanded. The man smiled warmly and shrugged. I am many he answered, his voice like the voice of thousands, and Riga took a frightened step back. Deladonna's voice shook the earth. This is my son. Your son, Riga rasped. Every nerve, muscle and sinew in her body demanded that she turn and run, but the seasoned killer in her knew that as soon as she did, she would be just as dead as the others. Yes, my son. My uncle Loederon came here and took me. And after he refused my every entreaty to stop, after I ran but could not escape, when he had his pleasure with me, he planted his seed in my belly, the goddess said, a voice tinged with a hatred that jabbed Riga like a knife in her gut. And it grew. But unlike you women of earth, I am not forced to add my life to such a seed, nor give it nurture in my womb, 
nor succor at my breast. So this is Loederon's seed alone, the same spirit of rage and rapine lust and savage violence he planted in me. I bore it unwillingly into the world, but I cannot control it, nor will I lift a finger to restrain it. But every boy loves his mother, no matter what the circumstance. So I have tried to set him upon those who have done ill to me. The men of the village, Riga asked, swallowing her fear. What ill have they done to you, goddess? They, like the gods above and below, have allowed this to happen to me, and the daughters of the earth since time began. Why should I stay the product of wrath for them when they would not lift a finger to help even their own? But, oh, Deladonna, they are some of them. If they had but known, they surely... This is not justice, it's not. Again you speak of concepts that you cannot fathom. There is no justice in the world, the goddess said a voice suddenly old and tired. Justice is the name you mortals give to the rare occasions when the capricious whims of the gods align with what you feel is right. It is the lie that lets you lay down every night with the wolves in your midst and tell yourself they would never eat you because justice would not allow it when the truth is that the wolves have merely decided to eat someone else that night. Justice is a myth. There is only the will of the gods, as fleeting and changing as the winds. Riga shook her head. No, she whispered. No. Although Riga spoke to the goddess, it was the man who answered. You do not accept the will of the gods? His face grew puzzled, almost concerned. You do not accept? No, I do not. Even if it is as your mother says, I will make it untrue. I will be justice, even if I am alone among men or gods. No, the man said, shaking his head. Justice is the servant of power, and power alone you will accept. I will not, Riga answered, finding a rage burning inside her that even ten years of battles and monsters had never roused. I will not. You will, the man's brow furrowed. You cannot stand astride the cosmos. And I shall lay dead astride the cosmos, but I will not assent, and I will not accept. His grey eyes burned in fury, like she had denied him something that was rightfully his. You were warned, he whispered, his voice sending shivers down her spine. His mouth twisted into a snarl as he lunged towards her. She was ready. She struck at him with the speed of a viper, driving her spear towards his chest. The blow should have skewered him through the heart, but it hit nothing but open air. 
She had the briefest moment of confusion before it happened, and a thousand hands grabbed her at once. She would have screamed as they ripped her shield and spear from her grip, but a rough hand with the iron strength of a hundred men closed around her throat. The rest of the greedy hands grasped for her, fingers clawing and probing. With a screech of protesting fabric, they ripped the dappled cloak off her back and tore through her leather armour. Fighting the fear and bile rising in her throat, she jerked herself free, collapsing hard to the forest floor, gasping for breath and leaving the mass of hands with nothing more than her cloak and cuirass. She scrabbled to her feet, drew her wide-bladed sword and stabbed the mass of hands in front of her, plunging it in again and again until the blade was black with blood. The monster backed away, transfiguring into a man again. This time he wore a disbelieving smile, but his grey, predatory eyes never changed. I can't believe you. I can't believe you don't. She stabbed him, the wide blade piercing his stomach and releasing a flow of blood and bile. The man took a step back in surprise, his countenance changing to one of her lovers from court in a pippa. Oh, Riga, you don't seem to understand, he said, smiling despite what should have been a grievous wound. You cannot stop me. I am and have always been. I am everywhere and nowhere. I am no man. I am any man. He vanished for a moment, then reappeared as her oldest brother, then her father, then the king, then a parade of male faces, some intimate and some only vaguely recognisable. I am every man. No. Riga spat as she took a step closer to him, fighting the horror and despair rising in her chest. No, it is not so, and it should not be so. She drove her sword deep into the man's chest. You don't understand, Deladonna's son said with a smile. This is how it is, as it has always. No, you don't understand. Riga pulled her sword from his chest and plunged it into that wide smile, piercing his neck with a crack. She drove him hard to the ground, grunting with exertion as she landed atop him. You are not every man. You may think you are, but you are not. And even if you are right, it will not always be so, because I will kill you. The face beneath her blade seemed to smile wider. And again the mass of harsh, unfamiliar hands grabbed her. They were everywhere, on her legs and on her back and her breasts. They hooked inside her mouth and yanked her hair. They poured at her, hungry for her flesh, to possess her, to rip her apart and tear her into pieces. She pressed the blade down harder. You will not rise as long as I live, she whispered, even as hands closed around her throat and ripped her linen kite on a part at her waist. I swear it. By the gods, I swear it. She twisted the blade and the hands melted away from her throat. 
Taking advantage of the opening, she leapt to her feet, the pouring hands leaving her in nothing but her tattered chiton. She staggered backward, gasping for breath, but kept her sword at the ready until she could snatch her spear off the forest floor. Her tormentor appeared across from her, apparently unfazed by his wounds. He smiled, revealing a mouthful of bloody teeth. Look at you, he sneered. Just look. What are you but a weak woman, alone in the forest? I will devour you. It's the way of the world, my world. Cold panic rose inside her. No, I swore he would not rise as long as I live, and I still live. She sheathed her sword and grasped her spear. She levelled at him, and his harsh laughter filled the forest grove. Ha! You dare threaten me with those? They're not yours. They're a man's weapons. A righteous fury bubbled up from deep inside her. They were her father and her grandfather's weapons once upon a time. But her father, the famed Sonair, was dead now seven years, and her grandfather, Hyaphus, had long ago relinquished his magical spear to the plane of mortals. Not when they are in my hands, Riga growled. In my hands, these are a woman's weapons. These are mine. He started to say something, but Riga bellowed a battle cry. A pent-up scream of rage and torment for the goddess Deladonna and every daughter of heaven or earth who had ever suffered what she had, and plunged her spear into the monster as man in front of her. Fired by the sheer force of her rage, the spear glowed red-hot in her hands and blazed with golden light as if wielded by the primeval Earth Mother herself. Deladonna's son roared a cry that shook branches from the trees and split the rocks in two, and his mother Deladonna's altar trembled. Riga's ears bled, but she pushed the spear in further as he continued to scream. Not a howl of pain, but one of anger, one of rage, one of disbelief, as if the thing could not believe it was about to die. With a blast of wind that bent the trees almost to the breaking point, the evil vanished in a cloud of ash and a pool of vile black blood. The forest fell silent again and the heavens turned dark. You have done well, my granddaughter. He is dead. A voice thundered from the sky as droplets of rain began to pelt the forest glade. Be at peace. Riga looked at the glowing spear in her hands, then to Deladonna, who had reappeared on her altar, and finally to the black sky above. No, Grandfather, I am not at peace. This is not the end of justice. 
What justice is it you seek then, granddaughter? The ancient voice asked. And Riga heard uncertainty and perhaps concern, as if even the gods above trembled to hear her answer. Where is your brother, the sea god Loederon? When will he spill his blood to the ground and answer for what he has done? Riga asked, a voice full of cold fury. Justice is the same for gods or men or monsters. The gods do not answer to mortals, granddaughter, Iaphus warned. Justice for the gods is the realm of my brother Dionon, the great judge of death and shadows. And neither shadow nor sky may judge the waves. Then we mortals are greater than the gods, for I shall judge him, Riga said, hefting her glowing spear. She spun on her heel and descended the path, her burning eyes fixed on the sea.